Welcome back to John Steinbeck's The Red Pony. Please go back to earlier podcasts for Chapter 1. Chapter 2 is entitled The Great Mountains. The first three chapters of this book were published in magazines from 1933 to 1936, and the full book was published in 37. Okay, let's get to it. Chapter 2, The Great Mountains. In the humming heat of a midsummer afternoon, the little boy Jody listlessly looked about the ranch for something to do. He'd been to the barn, had thrown rocks at the swallows' nests under the eaves until every one of the little mud houses broke open and dropped its lining of straw and dirty feathers. Then, at the ranch house, he baited a rat trap with stale cheese and set it where Doubletree Mutt, that good big dog, would get his nose snapped. Jody was not moved by an impulse of cruelty. He was bored with the long, hot afternoon. Doubletree Mutt put his nose in the trap and got it smacked and shrieked with agony and limped away with blood on his nostrils. No matter where he was hurt, Mutt limped. It was just a way he had. Once when he was young, Mutt got caught in a coyote trap, and always after that, he limped, even when he was scolded. When Mutt yelped, Jody's mother called from inside the house. Jody, stop torturing that dog and find something to do. Jody felt mean then, so he threw a rock at Mutt. Then he took his slingshot from the porch and walked up toward the brush line to try to kill a bird. It was a good slingshot with store-bought rubbers, but while Jody had often shot at birds, he'd never hit one. He walked up through the vegetable patch, kicking his bare toes into the dust, and on the way he found the perfect slingshot stone, round and slightly flattened and heavy enough to carry through the air. He fitted it into the leather pouch of his weapon and proceeded to the brush line. His eyes narrowed. His mouth worked strenuously for the first time that afternoon. He was intent. In the shade of the sagebrush, the little birds were working, scratching in the leaves, flying restlessly a few feet and scratching again. Jody pulled back the rubbers of the sling and advanced cautiously. One little thrush paused and looked at him and crouched, ready to fly. Jody sidled nearer, moving one foot slowly after the other. When he was twenty feet away, he carefully raised the sling and aimed. The stone whizzed. The thrush started up and flew right into it. And down the little bird went with a broken head. Jody ran to it and picked it up. Well, I got you, he said. The bird looked much smaller dead than it had alive. Jody felt a little mean pain in his stomach, so he took out his pocket knife and cut off the bird's head 
And then he disemboweled it and took off its wings, and finally he just threw all the pieces into the brush. He didn't care about the bird or its life, but he knew what older people would say if they had seen him kill it. He was ashamed because of their potential opinion. He decided to forget the whole thing as quickly as he could and never to mention it. The hills were dry at this season, and the wild grass was golden. But where the spring pipe filled the round tub and the tub spilled over, there lay a stretch of fine green grass, deep and sweet and moist. Jody drank from the mossy tub and washed the bird's blood from his hands in cold water, and then he lay on his back in the grass and looked up at the dumpling summer clouds. By closing one eye and destroying perspective, he brought them down within reach so that he could put up his fingers and stroke them. He helped the gentle wind push them down the sky. It seemed to him that they went faster for his help. One fat white cloud he helped cleared to the mountain rims, and finally he pressed it firmly over to the other side. Jody wondered what it was seeing there. He sat up the better to look at the great mountains, where they went piling back, growing darker and more savage, until they finished with one jagged ridge, high up against the west, curious, secret mountains. He thought of the little he knew about them. What's on the other side? He asked his father once. Hmm? Oh, more mountains, I guess. Why? And on the other side of them? Mm, more mountains. Why? More mountains on and on? Well, no, at last you, you come to the ocean. But what's in the mountains? Uh, just cliffs and brush and rocks and, oh, dryness. Were you ever there? No. Has anybody ever been there? Mm, a few people, I guess. It's dangerous with cliffs and things. Why, I've read there's more unexplored country in the mountains of Monterey County than any place in the United States. His father seemed proud that this should be so. And at last the ocean? At last the ocean. But, the boy insisted, but in between no one knows? Oh, a few people do, I guess, but there's nothing there to get. And not much water, just rocks and cliffs and grease wood. Why? It would be good to go. What for? There's nothing there. Jody knew something was there something very wonderful because it wasn't known, something secret and mysterious. He could feel within himself that this was so. He said to his mother, Do you know what's in the big mountains? She looked at him and then looked back at the ferocious range, and she said, Only the bear, I guess. What bear? Why, the one that went over the mountain to see what he could see. Jody questioned Billy Buck, the ranch hand, about the possibility of ancient cities lost in the mountains, but Billy agreed with Jody's father. Oh, it ain't likely, Billy said. 
there'd be nothing to eat unless uh, there's a kind of people that can eat rocks and live there. That was all the information Jody ever got, and it made the mountains dear to him and terrible. He thought often of the miles of ridge after ridge until at last there was the sea. When the peaks were pink in the morning, they invited him among them. And when the sun had gone over the edge in the evening and the mountains were a purple-like despair, then Jody was afraid of them. Then they were so impersonal and aloof that their very imperturbability was a threat. Hmm. Now he turned his head toward the mountains of the east, the Gabalins. And they were jolly mountains with hill ranches in their creases and with pine trees growing on the crests. People lived there and battles had been fought against the Mexicans on those slopes. He looked back for an instant at the great ones and shivered a little at the contrast. The foothill cup of the home ranch below him was sunny and safe. The house gleamed with white light and the barn was brown and warm. The red cows on the farther hill ate their way slowly toward the north. Even the dark cypress tree by the bunkhouse was usual and safe. The chickens scratched about in the dust of the farmyard with quick waltzing steps. And then a moving figure caught Jody's eye. A A man walked slowly over the brow of the hill on the road from Salinas, and he was headed toward the house. Jody stood up and moved down toward the house, too, for if someone was coming, he wanted to be there to see. By the time the boy had got to the house, the walking man was only halfway down the road, a lean man, very straight in the shoulders. Jody could tell he was old only because his heels struck the ground with hard jerks. As he approached nearer, Jody saw he was dressed in blue jeans and in a coat of the same material. He wore clodhopper shoes and an old flat-brimmed Stetson hat. Over his shoulder, he carried a gunny sack, lumpy and full. In a few moments, he had trudged close enough so that his face could be seen, and his face was as dark as dried beef. A mustache, blue-white against the dark skin, hovered over his mouth, and his mouth was white, too, where it showed at his neck. The skin of his face had shrunk back against the skull until it defined bone, not flesh, and made the nose and chin seem sharp and fragile. The eyes were large and deep and dark, with eyelids stretched tightly over them. Irises and pupils were one and very black, but the eyeballs were brown. There were no wrinkles in the face at all. This old man wore a blue denim coat buttoned to the throat with brass buttons, as all men do who wear no shirts. Out of the sleeves came strong, bony wrists and hands gnarled and knotted and hard as peach 
branches. The nails were flat and blunt and shiny. The old man drew close to the gate and swung down his sack when he confronted Jody. His lips fluttered a little, and a soft, impersonal voice came from between them. Do you live here? Jody was embarrassed. He turned and looked at the house, and he turned back and looked toward the barn where his father and Billy Buck were. Yes, he said, when no help came from either direction. I have come back, the old man said. I am Gitano, and I have come back. Jody could not take all this responsibility. He turned abruptly and ran into the house for help, and the screen door banged after him. His mother was in the kitchen, poking out the clogged holes of the colander with a hairpin and biting her lower lip with concentration. It's an old man, Jody cried excitedly. It's an old paisano man, and he says he's come back. His mother put down the colander and stuck the hairpin behind the sink board. What's the matter now? she asked patiently. It's an old man outside. Come on out. Oh, well, what does he want? She untied the strings of her apron and smoothed her hair with her fingers. I don't know. He came walking. His mother smoothed down her dress and went out, and Jody followed her. Gitano had not moved. Yes, Mrs. Tiflin asked. Gitano took off his old black hat and held it with both hands in front of him. He repeated, I am Gitano, and I have come back. Come back? Back where? Gitano's whole straight body leaned forward a little. His right hand described the circles of the hills, the sloping fields, and the mountains, and ended at his hat again. Back to the rancho. I was born here, and my father, too. Here, she demanded. Well, this isn't an old place. No. There, he said, pointing to the western ridge. On the other side, in a house that is gone. At last, she understood. The old doby that's washed almost away, you mean? Yes, signora. When the rancho broke up, they put no more lime on the adobe, and the rains washed it down. Jody's mother was silent for a little, and curious homesick thoughts ran through her mind. But quickly, she cleared them out. And what do you want now, Kitano? I will stay here, he said quietly, until I die. Oh, but we don't need an extra man here. I cannot work any more, Signora. I can milk a cow, feed chickens, cut a little wood. No more. I will stay here. He indicated the sack on the ground beside him. Here are my things. She turned to Jody. Run up to the barn and call your father. Jody dashed away, and he returned with Carl Tiflin and Billy Buck behind him. The old man was standing as he had been, but 
He was resting now. His whole body had sagged into a timeless repose. Uh, what is it? Carl Tiflin asked. What's Jody so excited about? Mrs. Tiflin motioned to the old man. He wants to stay here. He wants to do a little work and stay here. Well, we can't have him. We don't need any more men, and he's too old. Billy does everything we need. They had been talking over him as though he did not exist, and now suddenly they both hesitated and looked at Gitano and were embarrassed. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> I am too old to work. I come back where I was born. Well, you weren't born here, Carl said sharply. No, in the adobe house over the hill. It was all one rancho before you came. Oh, in the mud house that's all melted down? Yes, I and my father. I will stay here now on the rancho. I tell you, you won't stay, Carl said angrily. I don't need an old man. This isn't a big ranch. I can't afford food and uh, doctor bills for an old man. You must have relatives and friends. Go to them. Why, it's like begging to come to strangers. I was born here, Gitano said, patiently and inflexibly. Carl Tiflin did not like to be cruel, but he felt he must. Well, you can eat here tonight, he said. You can sleep in the little room of the old bunkhouse. We'll give you your breakfast in the morning, and then you'll have to go along. Go to your friends. Don't come to die with strangers. Gitano put on his black hat and stooped for his sack. Here are my things, he said. Carl turned away. Come on, Billy. We'll finish down at the barn. Jody, show him the little room in the bunkhouse. He and Billy turned back toward the barn. Mrs. Tiflin went into the house, saying over her shoulder, I'll send some blankets down. Gitano looked questioningly at Jody. Uh, I'll sh show you where it is, Jody said. There was a cot with a shuck mattress, an apple box holding a tin lantern, and a backless rocking chair in the little room of the bunkhouse. Gitano laid his sack carefully on the floor and sat down on the bed. Jody stood shyly in the room, hesitating to go. And at last he said, Did you come out of the big mountains? Gitano shook his head slowly. No, I worked down the Salinas Valley. The afternoon thought that would not let Jody go. Did you ever go into the big mountains back there? <laughs>